0: Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Revelation. If you notice, except for our friend Hen, this first row is open up here, the Schubert row. Uh, Trevor is preaching today at Central Valley Church in Hartford. Uh, So I'll have a chance to pray for him in a minute, but um, we appreciate him stepping up and serving that church as they continue to look for a pastor. We're going to break up chapter seven here into two weeks, but uh, really it, it goes together. We could have done it all in a week. just felt like there were a number of things we wanted to cover and take a little more time on um, on both sides of it. So we'll just read through verse eight today, but just know, you know it kind of goes together. Um, and I'll talk about that in the message, but let's read Revelation chapter 7 verses one through eight. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would quiet our hearts. Uh, I know my heart and my mind are are busy, and we ask that you would grant us grace to listen well to what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, we know that um, every week, you call us here to speak to us. It's a family meeting. And our father is here, our big brother is here, our friend and helper, the Holy Spirit is here, and all the family, this local expression of the family of God is here for you to speak to us, family meeting, because you have something you want to say. But I I just want to be faithful to that word that you have prepared for us. And not just corporately, but individually. We pray that you would speak to us in our hearts by the Spirit, exactly what we need to hear today. And Lord, as we are worshiping and we are preaching today, we we think of uh, Trevor, the Schubert family um, in Hartford. We ask your blessing on his message. We ask that it would be passionate and powerful. Um, As he preaches on Revelation 4, we pray the glory of the Creator would be impressed upon those people. That they would see a big God, even through all that they've walked through, all that they've gone through, are going through, we pray they would see a big God who is more than capable of helping them. More than capable. An arm that is never shortened with power to help that church continue. To bring them a godly man as a pastor. We lift them up to you this morning. We're thankful for the partnership that we have. And Lord, as we enter into this passage, um, I pray for those who come today, and and maybe it's just all of us, who are carrying a burden, who feel the weight of something or someone in our life, who feel pressure to do, to prove, Lord, this perspective of reality, you holding everything in your hand, you protecting your saints, you caring for your people, oh, it would help us to just relax. And even as I'm preaching, Lord, if there are burdens, I pray they would be lifted up to you because you care for them. You care. So we ask your, uh, your powerful spirit among us today, forgive us for our unbelief, Forgive us for not trusting you as we should. But renew our minds. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we talked about Jesus beginning to open the scroll, which is what? If I can I quiz you guys, do you remember? God's plan. God's plan for history between the two comings. Um, That's the scroll. Jesus removes six of the seals, and there are how many? Seven, so we got one to go. Previews, preludes, foretastes of judgment, one of the saints crying out, the martyrs crying out for judgment. Lord, how long? But John doesn't see the seventh seal. Not yet. Not yet. After seeing red horses and black riders, judgment and death, wrath and fury, destruction, John now sees something else grace. He sees grace. God pausing the drama, taking a moment to reassure his people everything's going to be okay. I got it. Lots of trials, lots of tribulations. But I will hold you fast. Don't worry. There are a number of these gracious pauses in the book of Revelation. Um, theologians call them interludes. Uh, we just sort of stop the drama for a minute, the, the, the kind of, you know, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, the battle. And, and there's these pauses where God effectively gets down on one knee, calls his kids over, Looks him in the eye, puts his hands on him, and says, I love you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You got a lot of stuff happening. You got a lot of craziness, chaos, conflict in the world. We feel it. We hear it here. He's saying, It's okay. I'm with you. I have you. No one can snatch you out of my hand. Don't worry. Sometimes it feels like somebody could snatch us out of his hand. He knows we need that. I need that. He knows our doubts. He knows our fears. And so he pauses to speak to us tenderly. It reminded me of being in Chicago a few years ago, reading through the chapter. We were going out at night, and um, we were going to Wrigley Field to see a game, and we were taking the train, and uh, we knew that there was violence in the city. You know, it just wasn't a great time to be in Chicago. I don't know when is a good time to be in Chicago, but it just felt like a particularly not a great time. And so uh, we did a couple of things. First of all, Carrie made sure they were wearing, like, very bright awkward clothing all the kids you know like she basically made them look really strange so we could pick them out in a crowd you know funny hats and all that she marked them like so we get stuck in the you know there's a lot of people we can see you kids were very nice they just sort of okay fine you know they looked ridiculous but the second thing that I did is I got down before we left the hotel on a knee I said kids come here we're going on the train We're going to a a big baseball stadium. There's going to be lots of people. It's going to be a little bit chaotic. Whatever happens, don't panic. We've got you. Hold our hands. Stay connected to us. It's going to be okay. So we get on the train, and we go through a couple stops, and the train just freezes. And a lady with what seemed to me like an out-of-place British accent came on the PA and tells us that we cannot go to the next stop because of police activity. So we're just sitting there. We don't know what's going on at the next street. Uh, And and it's getting a little chaotic. Like people are getting on, they're getting off, they're on their phones. A lot of things are happening. We're not moving. And the kids are kind of looking at me like, what's going on? And I just looked at them. It's going to be okay. We're all right stay next to us. Chapters like this one are like that. God pausing in the midst of danger, chaos, confusion for us and saying, it's going to be okay. I got you. I've sealed you. You're mine. I'm not letting go. I marked you out as my people. I see you. Nobody can hurt you in the end. And it may feel like a 180, like we're going from chapter 6 to this, and sometimes in Revelation it feels that way, like, whoa, how did we go from that to this? But it has a logic. It's God, so this is not chaos in this book. There's an order to it. There's a reason he does one thing after the next. Sometimes hard to discover, but that's our job. That's our work. So let's get into it. This gracious pause. Verse 1. After I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Now, pause there. It's important to remember that Revelation is not written chronologically. It's not like each chapter is the next thing that happens in history. Tracking with that? It's simply the next thing that John sees. We have to pay close attention, try to figure out, okay, what, what are we talking about here? But it's not a play-by-play from, you know, Jesus' resurrection and ascension until his second coming. That's not what the book is meaning to do. And that's important because this particular interlude actually jumps back to before chapter 6. Before the four horsemen are unleashed in chapter 6. It's a flashback. John sees what happens before the horsemen bring war, violence, famine, death on the world. God holds it back to make sure his people are protected first. The four winds, so he's holding back the four winds, most likely refers to the four horsemen. Zechariah 6, if you read it uses both of those phrases, four horsemen, four winds, in very similar ways to communicate judgment. And that's where John gets this imagery from Zechariah 6. So it would seem the four corners of the earth, the four winds, these are the horsemen that are coming to bring judgment, and God holds them back. God presses pause. Before destruction can come on the earth, the sea, the trees representing the earth and its inhabitants, they will be affected by the four horsemen and their woes. So will the church. Remember, the judgments aren't against us, but they do affect us. God isn't judging us, punishing us, cursing us, but we live in this world. We are affected by the things that happen. So, to recap, Jesus takes the scroll... He's starting to remove the seals. The four horsemen are sent. You heard the living creatures crying out before the throne of God. Go. Do this. Do that. I permit you. I grant you. And just as they're about to go, God holds up his hand and he says, wait. Not yet. Not before I seal my people. If you are one of God's elect, if you are a Christian living between the first coming and the second coming, this is for you. You are sealed. And you were sealed before any of this stuff started happening. Tribulation may touch your body. It cannot touch your soul. You may lose your physical life, but you will not lose your spiritual life if you are in Jesus. Before seals of judgment are unleashed against the wicked, God seals the righteous for salvation. Notice the language of creation here earth, sea, trees, wind. It reminds us that all creation bends to the will of God. No wind blows, no river flows, no snow falls, no ocean swells, no fog descends unless God tells it to. Nature is obedient in the same way we will be when we're in heaven. There's no friction, there's no rebellion. No calves are born, no eggs are laid, no hawk soars, no fish swims, no raccoon gets into your trash can. No cat gets run over apart from the gracious will of God. He's so wise. He's so wise. This is what it means that he's holding back the four winds, the four corners of the earth. It's all his. It all belongs to him, and we need to remember that because sometimes we look at creation and the things that are happening in the world like, wow, things are out of control. No, they're not. They're perfectly in control. God is in charge of the wind. God is in charge of the water. God is in charge of the fire. God is in charge of everything. Nothing's happening haphazardly, especially cats getting run over. Verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, so this is from the east, with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels. So these are the angels commanding, I think, the four horsemen, who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servant of our God on their foreheads. What does it mean to be sealed? It means to be claimed like adoption, it means to be claimed. I want you. I love you. I choose you. I'm putting my name on your life. I'm deciding to provide and protect for you. Let's make it official. I want you on my team. I'm recruiting you into my army. On your forehead, doesn't mean a tattoo, G-O-D. On every, are we thankful for that? Uh, This is your mind. This is your inner person. Allegiance to God inside of you. Seal on your forehead. You hear God's word, you keep God's word. And being sealed doesn't mean absolute physical protection. God doesn't promise us that. It means spiritual protection. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the earth. Remember that in the letters? It makes so much sense. How is it, friends, that we defeat the world? How did Jesus overcome and defeat Satan? By physical strength? By the sword? By outward power? As it is written, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. A Christian conquers through death. Not through power. That is the power. We lose our life in every sense in order to find it. That's how Jesus defeated the world. That's how Jesus defeated Satan. It's no different for us. If I can amend uh, Luther's words, which is always dangerous, just slightly. The body they may kill, God's seal abideth still. That's the truth. If you love Jesus more than your own life, you are guaranteed a place in his kingdom, the only kingdom that will never end. That's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good offer. And only Jesus, only God offers you that. Satan cannot offer you that. God seals and Satan marks. Satan cannot seal. In Revelation, this is the great contrast. The seal of God, the mark of the beast. To be sealed is to be promised salvation. To be marked is to be branded for enslavement. The sheep of God, we are marching to Zion. The goats of Satan, you are marching to the lake of fire. And this is what Revelation does for us. It tells us the truth. What is reality? What is the reality that we're living in? Because, you know, here on earth, things are not typically what they seem. Those who are opposed to God, rebelling against God with Satan, they seem like they're winning at the game of life. They seem happy. They seem like they're doing great. They're succeeding. And and Christians, those who are trusting in Jesus, we seem like we're losing. Many times, it's not true. That's not the truth. Don't believe what you see. Believe this. How many are deceived? Some here today, I have no doubt. Allowing themselves to be marked by the beast, the false prophet, by the enemy instead of sealed by God. He is a cruel pharaoh. I just need you to know that. (laughs) Satan is not your friend. He is cruel. He is twisted. And you don't have to let him rule you anymore. Nobody does. Let me explain to you how how sick and twisted he is. What Satan does is he tempts you towards something, and then when you do it, he accuses you for doing it. How wicked is that? He says, do it. You know you want to. And 10 seconds later, how could you do that? You're a really bad person. You know that? It's sick. It's evil. It's wicked. Satan is pro-sin on the front side, anti-sin on the back side. He is pro-pornography before you click. He is pro-purity after you do. He is pro-choice on the way into the abortion clinic. He is pro-life on the way out. He's pro-anger when you don't get what you want, but he is pro-patience after you threw a dish. That's how he works. That's how he tries to ruin every day of your life. Have you ever felt that? that dynamic in your heart? That's what life feels like outside of God all the time. You're tempted, you give in, you feel guilty. That's it. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Are you sealed or are you marked? Why would you live one more day under that tyranny? Why would you spend one more hour waiting to become free when you can become free right now? I don't want you living as slaves. Following the prince of the power of the air. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. That's a promise. You will be sealed with the name of God. Christians, brothers and sisters, you feel this dynamic. You feel tempted, you feel accused. Know this, you now have the power to resist temptation and you have the power to receive forgiveness. You have the Holy Spirit within you, the power and presence of God. What can Satan do to you? Only what we let him do. He can do nothing to us. What can he do? Tempt you? You have the power of the Spirit. You give in. You lose the battle. You still win the war. Jesus died for that sin. What can he do to you? What can he touch Not your soul, maybe your body, not your soul. We allow him to deceive us into thinking he can do far more than he can. We should laugh in his face. We should sing in his face. I see what you're doing. It's not going to work. He can't touch you. He cannot touch you. And yet, not I, but through Christ in me. He desperately does not want you to believe that. He wants you to believe that he can can get you. Get you doubting, get you questioning, get you, am I really saved? God holds back the four horsemen until he can seal his saints. And then John hears something. You hear something, the number of those being sealed. Verse 4. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. I'll just read the tribes. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. What's going on here? Remember, numbers in Revelation typically carry symbolic meaning. There's real meaning, truth, but you get to it, you access it through the, the symbol, through the number, through the image. So 144,000 is 12 times 12 times 1,000. I had to look that up, confess that to you. The kids are always amazed, uh, how, how did you work at a bank when you're bad at math? It's like, calculator calculator that's how you do it kids the number 12 is about fullness it's, it's stressing completeness um, I believe this is the complete number of God's people not in a literal sense uh, we don't want it we're not looking around saying you know one two three four how many are here that's not the point it's stressing completeness fullness Jew and Gentile, Old Testament, New Covenant, all the servants of God, as verse 3 puts it, are here. And here's where I get that. Twelve tribes, twelve disciples, twelve apostles. Twelve seems to be this number of a fullness, a full amount. When they lose Judas, they need one more to to bring it up to twelve. That's the number we should have. Revelation 21 talks about the new Jerusalem, all the saints dwelling together using the same language as this, lots of twelves. So just listen. Chapter 21, verse 12, that city had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, 12. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So, 12 tribes representing the Old Covenant people, 12 apostles representing the New Covenant people, 12 times 12 times 1,000 representing fullness, 10 is the number of fullness also in the book. Complete, full number of God's people. I think the clues are there. I think later in chapter 7, seeing the great multitude. Okay, this is, this is the number is specific, and you know, at least in God's mind. He knows how many are His. No one is left behind. And then we see the vastness, the fullness of it. Uh, uh, you can't even count how many. Now, you might say, well, this, this language seems to be about Israel seems to be focused on Israel okay but we know the church is often spoken of in the language of Israel in the New Testament. This is not uncommon. Paul calls a church primarily made up of Gentiles the Israel of God in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, in Philippians 3 he says, "You church are the true circumcision. Galatians 3 he says, who are the sons of Abraham? Those with faith in Christ. James calls the church the 12 tribes. James chapter 1. Peter, 1 Peter 2 says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. This is the language of Israel being applied to the church. Why? Because we are connected to the great Israelite, Jesus Christ, by faith. See, Jesus was and is what Israel was meant to be. He is the faithful son. He is the one who kept God's word. He is the one who did not apostatize. He's the second Adam. He's what Adam was supposed to be. And so all, Paul says, who are connected to him by faith, you are the sons of Abraham. You are the children of promise. That's Old Testament language. Jew and Gentile now coming in. one thing to mention about the order of the tribes. Do you notice who's first? Judah. That's interesting. Reuben was born first. Uh, Why wouldn't he be first? Does Judah ring any bells for you? Uh, Better if you've been in church your whole life, okay? Uh, (laughs) Can you name any famous person who was part of the tribe of Judah? Uh, uh, Here's a hint. He's known as a lion sometimes. Um isn't it easy when God gives us an easy Isn't it nice when God gives us an easy one? It's like we're grinding, we're working so hard in revelation. It's like Judah, does that ring any bells? Like, yes, an easy one. I got one. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The Sunday school answer actually works in this case. It is Jesus. We're meant to recall the prophecy of Genesis 49, Genesis 49:8. Judah your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He is the warrior king, all his enemies by the neck. He is the true elder brother. All the tribes of Judah or all the tribes of Israel folding into Judah, into him. The head of his body. So if you want to be blessed, you've got to pass through Jesus. If you're you're among the nations, if you're a Gentile, you've got to come through Jesus. Yes, he is listed first for a reason. Judah is first. Most of the lists in the Old Testament, Judah is not first. But here it's intentional. Jesus is greater than we think. He is the ultimate goat. (laughs) Carrie's like, goat like bah, Like greatest of all time. The guys will get it, I told you. Jesus is greater than Tom Brady. Some of you, that's hard to believe, but he is. He's greater than Michael Jordan. He is the greatest of all time. He is the one true deliverer that you can count on. That's why we've been talking about him every Sunday for 2,000 years. Who else can say that? He is the only deliverer. The question is if we believe it. Do you believe it? And you get sold a lot of other deliverers in your news feeds, on social media, on your TVs. You get sold. This person, this product is going to deliver you. No politician, no leader, no celebrity, no sports legend, no health expert can truly deliver you from what you fear most. We look to deliverers because we're scared of stuff. We're scared of this happening. We're scared of this happening. And The Bible teaches, and right here, Jesus is the only deliverer. He is the port of entry. If you want to escape this jacked-up world and enter God's country, you have to go through Jesus. That's your only option. That's the only way in. That's the only way for the nations to come into the kingdom of God. I find it interesting that Jesus Christ, he's Jewish, but... In his lineage is not all Jews. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was a Gentile. Isn't that interesting? So it's not purity down the line for Jesus. There's hints in the Old Testament. The Messiah is going to be one through whom everyone can come in, not just Jews. This is the point of chapter 7. God has done it. He has delivered you. It's over. It's finished. You're under his care. You're under his watch. You will be with him in heaven. Nothing is ultimately up to you. That is good news. Nothing is ultimately up to you. So, listen to me. You have nothing to prove. Some of you need to hear that. You have nothing to prove you're not the best Christian, you're not the best spouse, you're not the best parent, you're not the best friend, you won't accomplish everything you want to accomplish in this life. We know. God knows. You know. It's okay. You have nothing to prove. You know, some religions will say, you got to work your tail off to be in the 144,000. This is an elite club. Not Christianity. pressure you feel in your life is not from God. You're already in. He has already sealed you. He has already marked you out as his own. You're forgiven. You're loved in him. And, and I just have a sense that some of you this morning are carrying a burden. What do you fear you won't accomplish? What do you feel you have to prove? To whom? And why? It reminds me of a great quote by Madonna. Yes, Madonna. You know, unbelievers uh, are often great theologians without meaning to be. She says it very well. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. You just want to share the gospel with her. I have an answer for you. Struggle can end. She gets it. She sees it. She's she's more aware of herself than many of us are. Struggle to prove, to push, the pressure to be. And God would say, that's not for me. I went to the cross. So you wouldn't have to feel like that. You don't have to do anything. Rest in me. Abide in me. Come through me into all joy. The root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Such good news. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good word today. This is tough sledding, Lord, in Revelation, but we believe that this is profitable for us. This is truth that we need, that, Lord, If we could get to heaven without this, you wouldn't have put it in the Bible, but you did. And so we ask that you would speak to us now, even as we quiet our hearts. I pray burdens would be released. I pray striving would cease and there would be rest. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.